Welcome to episode 231 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. My weekly email this week started with a question. Why do you open my emails? Is it my witty subject lines? I do aim to write open loops, a concept I first shared with my list back in July 2018 in one of my earliest emails with a story and a your challenge for this week section. According to Copyblogger, open loops keep readers itching to find out how they work out in the end a need-to-know phenomenon called Zygernik effect by psychologists. Open loops are much more compelling than closed ones. But maybe it's the content. I do try to weave a business or a life lesson into each week's story. My goal is to include a twist so you don't know where the story is headed unless you keep reading. Or maybe it's the challenges I pose each week. I've heard from many that the lessons I share and the challenges I pose have been perfectly timed. It's a bit like reading your horoscope in that way. I think I know why you open my emails. And while influenced by some of the factors I mentioned, without this reason in place, those factors wouldn't matter nearly as much. You open my emails and listen to this podcast because they come from me and we have a relationship. For some of you, that relationship predates 2018 when I finally got around to writing a weekly email, and for others, we may have only recently connected. Once that connection is made, it's imperative that I nurture it so it becomes a relationship. Merely knowing someone's name isn't enough for no like, and trust to develop. Providing relevant and timely content is a big part of this process because you'd probably stop opening my emails and listening to this show if I deviated dramatically from my usual topics. I like to think that sharing a bit about my life and my family helps make our relationship stronger and demonstrates that I'm a real person. This is important because people like to do business with people they know, like, and trust. Not receiving my weekly missives? You can sign up for my free weekly No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hour at nomorebadzoom.com and I'll be in touch. Your challenge for this week. What does your relationship building journey look like? When you make a great connection, what's the next step? How do you nurture that connection so it becomes a relationship? Are you clear on how you want to be known or are you confusing your network? Take action to bolster your personal brand, a.k.a. reputation. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest has been called the undisputed champion at helping small businesses land big clients by Inc. Magazine. She developed a proprietary framework based on her two decades of experience navigating all sides of the corporate buying table. This framework has been leveraged by thousands of small businesses across 72 countries to secure multi five, six, and seven-figure-plus corporate contracts. Inside Edge, her global conference brings small and diverse business owners together with major brands like AT&T, IBM, and Coca-Cola to help them work together more effectively. 
She's been named an Enterprising Woman of the Year by Enterprising Women Magazine, has been featured in numerous publications, including Entrepreneur, Forbes, and The Washington Post, as well as on ABC, NBC, and CBS. She's a regular panelist on Yahoo Finance's show, YFI PM. Please join me in welcoming Angelique Ruers. I am so excited to be here. This is going to be fun. Angelique, thank you so much for joining us from your home in Boca Raton, Florida. Um, thrilled to have you here. As you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership because as you'd probably agree, no one achieves success in a vacuum. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? I think I'm going to answer those in reverse, if that's all right. So I think I realized that I had the skills to lead when I was six. Um, my school was doing a Christmas play, specifically Christmas, not sort of generic holiday, because this would have been the early 80s here. So it was a, it was a Christmas play. Um, and they wanted all the, the grades involved. And uh, I decided I wanted to be the narrator for this play. But the problem was, it was a pretty advanced uh, script for the play for the narrator and and no you know first grader could read it so I informed my teacher that just give me the script and I'll learn it tonight and I'll do it tomorrow so I went to the tryouts and everyone was sort of waiting for the six year old to sort of crash and burn um, but I ended up getting the the part and not only did I get the part but I started really taking control of what was happening on stage. So I'm like leading, you know, the fifth graders in their routine at age six. So I think it was pretty early on that when, that when I saw there's a gap, if you feel you can fill it, you should step in and do that. And I think that's what leaders do. They look for their opening on the field and they don't wait for permission they go to where there's an opening. And when they see an opportunity, they take it. And then, of course, they honor that role with courage, integrity, um, strategic thinking. So I think it's not just enough to go to that spot on the field. You have to then honor that role. I have been uh, asking people for the last four plus years to answer this question. And usually when they get to the part where they share a little story about where they first learned this lesson, I would say majority people default to when I was in business school or in my first corporate job. And I have to really walk them back to what we like on the playground. You went right to six years old. And this, it sounds like a pretty transformative experience that you tried out at all. Clearly your parents have a role to play in the, the word chutzpah is coming to mind. Yes. <laughs> yes. To like dare to think that this is a thing you can do that help you practice and rehearse and be ready for this opportunity. And then once you had the opportunity, you got a little taste of like, you know, uh, I guess almost like seeing the play from the outside. That's the narrator's role. You're like, oh, I can actually improve upon this. <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me tell these 10 year olds <laughs> what to do. <laughs> just like, this is a beautiful scene, Angelique. I feel like I just met you and that tells me a lot about who you are and your family margin. <laughs> Um, and I love this idea of seeing the the place that is needed where you're needed, but then once you fill that role, like honoring it, like it's not enough to just step up, but you have to then have that integrity, right? And have that respect for the role and the people who are following you there. Um, did you like have people in your life who, I mean, again, like it's six years old to like identify this as a possibility and to be encouraged is that sort of innately part of the family that you were, you were brought up in to like seek out these opportunities? 
I think it is. I come from a line of very strong women. Um, my mom was an uh, was a single parent from the time I was one. Um, my grandmother, I'm also an only grandchild, not just an only child and only grandchild. And my grandmother had a pretty tough life um, and really had to make it work on her own. And my great grandmother uh, was taken away from her family at age four and put into um, a Catholic orphanage in Baltimore when her father passed away um, and was there for years until her mother remarried and could come and get her and, and a couple of her siblings. But she was almost, I think, 15 or 16 when they were able to get her. And so the women in, in my family are survivors. And, um, and so I think there's something uh, in our DNA a little bit, uh, for better or for worse, by the way, because being a survivor can also make you uh, independent to an extreme at times, not knowing always how to ask for help. Um, so there's that side of it too. But there is that. My mom would also tell you that I was a, a strong-willed two-year-old um, and that there's a little bit, you know, of just my personality <laughs> in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure I'm all that different today than I was than I was then. <laughs> right. Like uh, you are who you are, right? Like You are who ages. you are. <laughs> which, by the way, I tell my clients is rule number three of business, which is know thyself. And I think that's really important to be super self-aware. So I think that's a good quality of a leader. Uh, even though you might not always like what you're self-aware about, at least know it, at least be aware of it. So when you were, I don't know, 10, 12 years old, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Mm. Well, if I could carry a tune and wasn't tone deaf, I would have, I think, wanted to be a performer, which is weird because I'm actually a tremendous introvert, um, which I know doesn't always mesh well. We can we can talk about that. But um, I think I thought I was going to be like in one of those Michael J. Fox movies from the 80s where he takes over the corporate office. Like I sort of lived vicariously through Michael J. Fox and like the secret to my success. Like that was, you know, I really idolized this idea of that corporate environment and having that big office. And it just, I loved it. And I wanted, I wanted the, you know, the big corner office. Um, you're so speaking my language. Like I was <laughs> such a huge Michael J. Fox fan and that movie, the idea of like coming up from the bottom, like the mailroom and then like getting to the, the oh, C-suite, yeah. the, just like the grit of it, like the, the innovative, I mean, um, it's, that's really funny to think about that. And then, um, the other one that's coming to mind, uh, was it Meg Ryan was in it maybe? Oh yes. Oh like, yes, yes, yes. She like oh, takes all these notes and in the end, like someone steals her idea and, but they can't explain where they got the idea. And she shows all these scraps of paper and newspaper articles. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, she literally pulled these ideas together. So just like, yes, there is this way in which we were, we were, we grew up in the eighties. <laughs> so <laughs> we have these messages, um, of what the world can be like. And, um, and I, you know, the thing that you mentioned actually about introverts and, and cause I'm, I'm clearly not one just for the record people, um, no one was ever, ever made mistake me for one, but, um, a lot of my friends are, and they're like the world of, of speakers and performers are actually quite a few introverts it sort of almost leans heavily towards it. Cause it's a very different thing to be 
on stage alone yep. than like working a room, which is exactly. like my comfort zone. Exactly. Um, so it's, it is sort of interesting that, you know, these are different sort of mindsets or skill sets. So, um, you know, because of what you're doing today is not a thing that you can um, go to college saying, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm just sort of curious, like what your career path was to this point, do, you know, was it a straight line? Was it like a broken road? Oh, it oh, sounds yeah. like it was a broken road. So <laughs> I'm laughing just because it was, you know, it was definitely a mess. It was one of those Steve Jobs sort of the dots only connect in hindsight. Uh, you could never plan it. So, you know, I grew up in a in a low income blue collar town, and not many people that I grew up with uh, went to college, let alone you know made it out out of there. I mean, three of my closest best friends passed away um, very early on from from drugs and violence. So, um, so for me to be able to go to college was a big deal. I was very fortunate to get a scholarship uh, to George Washington University, and um, that was very eye opening for me. Um, I had to work my way through college, even with the scholarship, you know, room and board was a fortune back then. Uh, It still is today. Um, But I ended up getting hired by this company that I was interning for. And that led to an amazing corporate role. Like my very next job, I just landed this incredible job working uh, with senior executives. It was absolutely phenomenal. And I spent about 10 years in corporate And then a couple of personal things happened, um, including a major, major health scare. Mm -hmm. And it made me reevaluate my decisions about what I wanted to really do at the same time that I was becoming, for really the first time in my life, aware of the discrimination I would face as a female. It really hadn't been something that I even paid any attention to until I had this opportunity to get promoted, but they wouldn't promote me in title or salary, even though they wanted me to keep doing the job of the leader. So they just, and so that kind of happened the same time this health scare happened. And um, I was sitting in my office one night, kind of frustrated with the work. And at the same time, I was signing off on uh, all of these big (laughs) checks that I was paying to some outside vendors. They're signing off on their invoices uh, for some projects I was managing. And I was looking at the size of the checks I was signing off on, realizing that I was leading those programs and I'm paying all these outside consultants having to fix their work. And I thought to myself, what the hell am I doing? Why am I not one of those consultants? Why am I at 1 a.m. sitting here putting out with all this grief inside the workplace, you know, discrimination, sexism, all sorts of crap that was going on, uh, making a fraction of what these uh, outside consultants were getting paid and I was managing them. So at that point, I just said, screw it. Um, I'm going to leave and I'm going to start my own company. But I was only, I was 27 going on 28 at that point in time. So I was, I was young. Um, but I didn't care. Um, it, you know, back to the whole, <laughs> yes. I can't read what I'm going to be a narrator of a play <laughs> attitude. How hard can it be? Um, so I left, I quit. I, I, I started my own company. So when you quit, you didn't actually have like a hustle on the side. Like you had, no, no, oh. I, um, I put my notice in and then I went and got my first client while I was sort of working on my, you know, kind of getting things going, but I was, you know, I was done. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that's not an easy way to start. Uh, what no. <laughs> what year is this now? Like, give us uh, a this time was two thousand six. 
So a couple of years later, we hit a, a economic crisis. Did <laughs> <laughs> so just as we you probably did. got. So okay. So let me, before we get into that, I just want to say I am now one of those consultants, uh, yep. and I used to be the person who like oversaw the projects. Yep. And I like when I submit my invoices, I wonder if they're thinking. Wow, why can't I do that job? Right, they are. They're definitely thinking that. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe I'm inspiring someone to become an entrepreneur. That's great. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah, we're seeing a lot of that actually right now. The numbers are very clear. Everyone is thinking that. Yeah. So, um, so uh, I also want to note that uh, it sounds like you ended up in the Michael J. Fox movie because you were an intern <laughs> who got hired into this like primo role. Yeah. So, congrats on like. Thank I mean, you. Yeah. So congrats that on that. That is true. I hadn't really thought about that, but you're right. Actually, um, I have to tell you the story because I ended up getting hired to work for these two female vice presidents who I really credit with a, a big portion of my success today. They were so instrumental and I, I just always want to give them credit. But my very first day on the job, both of them were out of the office on business trips. And so here I am starting... And one, one was already gone. One was like literally heading to the airport the day I started. And meanwhile, the CEO of the company, and this is a huge global consulting company, a name most people would know. The CEO of the company, uh, his executive assistant called out sick. And so that no one knew what to do with me because I was starting to work in the PR department under these two other women. So they, they being best, being very close friends with the CEO, they were like, oh, Angelique, just go support him for a week while we're gone. And so I don't even know where the bathrooms are. I don't know where the coffee maker is. I know where nothing is. I'm in my, you know, I'm like 20 years old, basically. And um, I'm working for the CEO of this company for a week. And he doesn't know how to use email at this point in time. He basically has me printing out his emails and then he would scribble his responses onto the paper and then give them back to me for me to send. The problem was you could not read his handwriting. I mean, literally it was chicken scratch. Like you know, like it was illegible and he would abbreviate everyone's initials. So it'd be like, R.S. and S.M. And, you know, and so I don't know who these people are. It's my first day. <laughs> um, but he was so impressed by the end of that week that they ended up really changing my role. And I ended up being doing a lot of his special projects for five years. In addition to kind of the role I was doing, they brought me in to do his, his special projects. And having that access at such a young age and being in the C-suite with all those executives at such a young age, it completely changed my perspective. Um, I, you know, it was the universe lined up for me that day, that week, um, because it completely changed the whole trajectory of my of my career. And I think I always try to tell my clients this. I always try to say, look, when the universe gives you an opportunity, you need to step up. Like those opportunities, to, the universe goes through all of this to line up an opportunity for you. You better bring it when that opportunity lines up. I'm so glad, Angelique, that you shared this story because A, it makes the, uh, the plot of your Michael J. Fox movie even more interesting. <laughs> Um, that's kind of life. And I agree. Like, I, I remember I worked for somebody who didn't, um, know how to use email and like, like it was the whole print things out. It was just, yeah, 
It was just like incredible. And it was so it was weird because it was not at a time where I was like, you're not she wasn't an older person. She was like a like a 35-year-old who just had never bothered right. to learn. Right. You know, and it was sort of like, really? But it's it's we're past that point now. You know, I was like a like a college student or post-college for a few years. I was like, really? Um so millennials and Gen Zers everywhere are going like, what? There's a time. <laughs> so far into that. I know. <laughs> and come to think of it, like she probably was not. I mean, I'm yeah, she was probably older than Gen. Gen, Gen Gen X, like at the time, you know, like, I mean, she still is um, like, it's hard to wrap my head around it because at the time it didn't feel like that. So, um, all right. Fascinating. And clearly again, a, you are who you are because other people, an opportunity like that would have come up and they would have crumbled under the, just the expectation around it, the, like within themselves, the imposter syndrome that I don't know things, but instead you end up becoming like, you know, a special projects person for a CEO of a major multinational organization. Like, you know, that's not everybody. Like some people would have just balked at that plan. And yet now it's making more sense that you're helping other people negotiate how to work with corporate because you were brought up. I mean, like you literally grew up for those five years, 10 years, that's your twenties. You spent your twenties in like, not just corporate, not like the belly of the beast, but like up at the top in the head of whatever you describe that. What advantage point, um, what do you think some of your top lessons are that you learned that are the kind of things you're teaching other people now about, I don't know, like how to, how to show up in those spaces? Yeah, I think, the, I think one of the lessons is how imperfect decision-making is, how imperfect the planning is, how serendipitous and the way that things get the satisficing and the, you know, the tigers by the tail that they end up with. Like if you, the sausage making inside. Um, my last corporate role before I started my business, I was leading internal and financial communications for a publicly traded company. And so every quarter, We'd go through quarterly earnings. It was my responsibility to not only write the press release around it and communicate to the media about our financial earnings and facilitate the CFO and CEO's interviews with the media, but I had to sit in those executive board meetings, listening to you know them arriving at sort of the numbers and um, and so just having that access and listening to. I mean, there were times where one executive would be waving his or her arms going, guys, women, you know, we have a problem. Like this is going to happen. And the rest of an executive team is like, yeah, it's going to be fine. And then it isn't fine. And, and then everyone's scrambling and like just watching the human nature inside of companies. I think people from the outside think that companies are more organized in their decision-making, that there are these grand plans and things are aligned. And it just, it doesn't happen that way. Like, like how decisions actually get made and come to be and the factors that can take, can turn a, at the last minute, can turn a decision or can turn a project to a new direction are the craziest things that you would ever see. And so I think just seeing the rawness of it and the personalities that are driving some of these things and why they come to the conclusions. It, it, we can't take the humans out of any of it, out of government, out of education, out of, you know, nonprofits, out of corporate. Like it is, it is human beings, like people in your family who you think are crazy 
are also these people inside these organizations. You know, it's just, I think we lose that, that understanding of humans all the time. I am so glad you illustrated this and you did it so well because you're right that you, you there's a way where it's like the corporate wall happens and we're like, oh, behind that, it's a certain way. But I've never experienced it being anything other than a messy process in anything I've ever done. So why would it be less so in this like, you know, environment? Um, and also I've always said to people, you're not trying to, B2B is like person to person. Like, let's just call it what it is. It's P2P. And like everyone, oh, B2B, how do I meet people? I'm like, you you have to reach out to individual people. Like, you know, maybe there's different, you have to talk to like both the, the buyer, the person who signs a check and the person who's going to actually implement the work. Like maybe there's more people involved than just you to a consumer, but there's still all people involved. It's not like people. a wall. And I, you're right. Like people sort of tend to forget that and which it actually really hinders their process because they can't reach out. My background's in fundraising. Same is true with foundations. When we were, everyone was trying to get grants, they treated it as if this was like a, a neat, concise process. And of course, personalities played out. If you if people liked you, if you thought you were grateful, if you were followed through, if you were good about your commitments, that stuff factored in just as much as what your numbers said. You know, oh, yeah. it's true for people getting venture capitalists, uh, to, to to venture capitalists to like invest in their companies, right? It's like all personality based. Totally. Not it's so, you know, yeah. All personality. And then you've got situations too where, you know, a company is ready to move on something, they're ready to make a decision on something, and some completely unrelated issue in another division, geography, whatever, comes up and somehow has some tentacle related to this plan over here and just explodes the plan, just blows up the plan. And you're like, how in the hell did that happen? It was over here and now you've got this, so you're thinking, how in the heck am I, you know, why did that get canceled or why didn't that move forward? You cannot guess the stuff that's going to come up. And I just, I think for me, that's probably why I approach business the way I approach it, why I, um, you know, think people get themselves so distracted with all the wrong things. Um, and, and so, yeah, but I, I was, it did, it definitely shaped my point of view. It yes, shaped there's a, my there's point a world of view, view, particularly because you grew up in a sort of blue collar environments yep. where, you know, the, the aspirations professionally, my dad grew up in a similar space, like, a lawyer, a doctor, a police officer. Like, the, like there were very, very few professional roles that you saw on a regular basis. And then to be exposed to the inner workings of an organization and see the multi-levels of leadership and what's possible. I mean, that's that in itself is very eye-opening. When you, when you finally went, like, I'm done with this, I'm going to hang my own shingle and create something, what did you think you were creating? Like, who did you think you were going to serve? And what outcomes did you think they were going to get from working with you? So I, so when I started my first business, it was all around uh, marketing and strategic executive communication. So I, all I knew was corporate. And so my business was specifically to sell back to corporate. And I ended up working with senior executives of major e-commerce companies and health systems and defense companies and energy companies and big consulting companies. And it was all around helping executives to do a better job of understanding what they needed to say to their people 
helping them to be able to say it and actually do it in a way that got employees to understand it and also on the marketing side of things. So I was I was definitely uh, doing strategy. That was sort of the other part of my, my corporate career was around corporate marketing. So that's what I started doing. It was about a year and a half into owning that first business that... Um, I'm born and raised in Baltimore, so that's where I was at the time. And Baltimore is a very small town. Nickname is Smaltimore. And so someone in town who knew me, just because we all know each other, came to me and said, uh, I'm doing this conference for women business owners, and I'd like you to come speak. And I didn't really want to do it, to be honest with you. I was very busy, and I didn't see what I could possibly offer And she was convinced that I could come and teach them how to get PR, media coverage for their business since I under, that was a big part of my corporate career. Um, And so I agreed to do it and I went and gave the presentation, but the audience hijacked my presentation and they were constantly raising their hands and they were obsessed with my bio because when she introduced me, I had all of these corporate customers, all these corporate clients. And they all wanted to know, but how did, did you use PR to get those clients? But what did you do to get those companies? Like, how are you getting those clients? And I was frustrated because I had a plan. I had an agenda to get through. God damn it. <laughs> I was like, I have, you know, a plan to get through. So, um, so I kept trying to like pull back and the audience is pulling me in another direction. Uh, after the session was over, we went out to get coffee and I was surrounded by women business owners with questions. And the, a couple of people came up to me. One in particular came up to me and she said, I want to hire you to help me with my marketing and positioning to get those corporate clients like you have. And I told her, I don't do that. And then she started emailing me and calling me and emailing me and calling me. This woman was practically stalking me. Finally, I relented and I gave in and I said I'd help her. I didn't even know how to really charge her because I wasn't used to working with small business owners. And then she started recommending me to other pe- other women business owners in Baltimore. So all of these like people are wanting me to teach them how to do this. And um, then you know, I, I just, I think I just had an aha moment one day of sort of, well, I guess I should be doing that, you know, I guess. And for years, by the way, I did both, which was insane to spend, try to do 50-50. It was a little, it was a little chaotic trying to do so much corporate and so much small business at the exact same time. So over the years, the the percentage definitely has shifted. But yeah, it was like those little, you know, nesting dolls. Every time I would work with some someone, they'd refer me to someone else and someone else and someone else. And uh, then yeah. I had another business. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. I can I can relate quite a bit right now, actually, because, um, I, you know, one, uh, part as part of building my business, I had this moment where I realized that I, that you, you discover your ideal clients because they've already, they're already circling you. They're already yep. like there. They're already interacting. They're already seeking you for support or advice or services. And a lot of times what we're doing is ignoring them and trying really hard to hustle to get clients. And the and we're not figuring how to monetize the people who are coming to us all the time because it's not what we do. And so I had a, I had a moment in my life earlier where I had to like, I had to rebrand a program I was doing because I suddenly realized that I was that I was meant to work with entrepreneurial women in their 50s and beyond, not because I had sought that out, but because that's who seeks me out and, and continues to this day to be who hits reply to my emails, 
who comes to my events, who asks to be coached, like who refers me. It's like this particular cohort. And I feel like I spent a lot of time not noticing that. And so that's a lesson anyone listening in, like yeah. pay attention who's circling you and figure out if there's an offer there that you, what's the value? They clearly trust you. Like what's the value? So, and also because my work prior to the pandemic, like as of March 11th, was not the currency of today, um, teaching people how to network at in-person events. Um, I started hosting my own um, free virtual happy hour on March 13th and have done so every Friday since, no more badzoom.com. And it really listening and paying attention built an entire new business that's already hit six figures. So it's incredible like what's possible, but it's like you said, you uncover one thing and it leads to another, leads to another. And like, you're just holding on at first because you don't have revenue streams. You haven't figured out all your plans. You don't know how to write proposals. Like that's been my year. You just described the yeah. like, hold on and let's see if we can figure this out. Next that's, year we yeah. calmer. It was great. Well, Peter, I think it was Peter Schultz who first said, if you listen carefully enough, your market, you know, explains your clients will explain your business to you, right? Um, and it's funny because I think a lot of us go through that phase where we're sort of, in resistance to what the market is telling us or trying to take us in a, in a certain direction. But I can, I almost, you know, sometimes when I think about the past, I always see it in my head as cartoons, like New Yorker cartoons. And I see me kind of like opening up my door. And every time I open up my door, there's more people there. Um, you know, like the, those old, uh, those old Looney Tune cartoons or something. Um, I just, it was, it was a good thing though. I mean, it was a good thing because when I think about the impact of it, it's been so much bigger because you think about the people who leave their corporate roles. Not everybody we work with leaves their corporate roles, but a lot of them do. And they leave their corporate roles because they felt that the positive impact that they wanted to have, they weren't able to have. So there's a frustration that builds up when you're restricted by bureaucracy and red tape and inertia inside of companies. But when you go on the outside and then you leverage everything you know and your relationships and you go back into these organizations, from the outside, you can actually have a lot more impact. So it's been really, I think, an interesting journey for us. But to your original question, there's no way I could have predicted this. Like the, it really was just an ability of go. It's why I get frustrated when people don't take action and they're stuck behind their computers. I know we're all self isolate, you know, we're all, we're all social distancing and keeping ourselves safe, which is a very good thing. But there's a difference between, you know, I'm not talking about that piece of it. Just that idea that people think that they can find an answer staring at their computer screen mm -hmm. and you don't, you know, you find answers in building relationships and talking to people like that's yeah. where all the answers are. Yeah. And I think that's, what's so great about your show because you know, you don't figure like, you don't look at a blank sheet of paper and figure out an answer. Right. You know, uh, I want to switch gears a tiny bit here because it sounds also like a big part of your success was your network that mm -hmm. that friend encouraged you relentlessly to come relentlessly speak. <laughs> um that you know that you were attracting this community of um women who were uh, business owners and entrepreneurs and thinking about like what they, they wanted to be like you so when you think about nurturing and sustaining connections in your network you have sort of the inner circle people who you'll always stay connected with but then i always wonder 
the sort of second and third tier out, second, third layer out, people that maybe see annually at a conference or work with five years ago, but these are people you like. You just don't have a reason to work with them today. How do you nurture and sustain connections with them? Any, any practices, philosophies, habits? So I have to go back to my introvert comment because I don't, I think it would be disingenuous to, um, because there's probably a lot of people in your audience who are actually built very similar to me. Um, people think that I'm not an introvert because I'm very easy to talk to. I don't give one word answers. You know, I, you know, I engage with whoever I'm with, but the fact is that relationship building is so exhausting for me. I mean, I, I saw a tweet the other day that made me laugh of, um, about, it was about, you know, how for the, for introverts, the pandemic in some ways has been this reprieve because for those of us who like to just be by ourselves, we have the perfect excuse to just be alone and be by ourselves. Um, I actually find engaging without a purpose to be very exhausting. I hate text messages. I mean, if a client texts me with a very specific um, question, that's one thing. But, you know, people, you know, like to text with me. Um, they like to, you know, there are people in my network who are so good about sending a bomb bomb video or, you know, sending text messages just to check in and connect. And they like, they love it. They get energy from that. I get those text messages and it's just like, oh, and it's not because I don't like them. I actually love people, love people. It is so enormously draining for me to carry on text conversations and to just get on the phone with people. Um, so it's funny because I don't do probably as much as what other people do. You yourself, for example, I'm really not... Um, built for that. And it can drain me to the point that I'm ineffective in my day. So what works better for me personally, since I'm so drained by like just engagement for the sake of engagement is really to create experiences where I get to spend time with people. The, the drip, drip, drip is a nightmare for me. I can't do it. I also think as adults, we can have bigger gaps between our interactions and pick right back up from where we left off. So if I'm traveling and I know, because we'll all go back to traveling next year, um, and I know that uh, several people that I know are going to be at a conference. I will go out of my way to make sure we have a chance to get together. And then energetically, I can be fully present in that experience, give all my energy to it, and then be done. Um, I will create virtual experiences for me to connect with multiple people at one time. Um, and do that. Um, I'm not going to be someone who just touches base with people on Facebook or who just texts people or send bomb bomb videos. I'm not going to do it. I'm never going to do it. Um, so I aim for me personally, less quantity and higher quality. That's like the exchange that I have to make up or I just will break down. Like my uh, health will break down. Like I just can't do it. So I'm all about quality and, and then just trying to plan it out. And then I'll go all in on that. But you won't hear much from me in between. And I'm okay with that. Um, so I just, I share that because I think it's a different perspective than, and, and in the social media world, that's tough because people want to check in with you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I really appreciate what you're saying is I'm, I'm a big believer in the power of convening and hosting. And um, because it's, well, 
particularly with virtual, it's actually easier than ever, but still people often don't do it. They just put roadblocks up about why they don't, they can't think of it. They just don't do it. So when you go to a conference and you bring three or four or five friends together for drinks or for dinner or for breakfast or whatever, like they find that so valuable. Like they, that's such a gift to other people. And for you, rather than you having like to devote time to each of them throughout the weekend, you get to do it in one burst be very present and then retreat to your normal routine. Um, I've actually found from a lot of introverts um, that that is a really great strategy. Dory Clark comes to mind. Mm. Um, she's been a, a friend and mentor of mine for a decade and 12 years or something. And when she moved from Boston to New York, she started hosting dinners twice a month. And she did that for a couple of years. And that's how she developed this incredible network. But she was never going to be a person who went to like seven, nine, 12 events a week. And there are people who would move to New York and that's what they would do. They would fill their dance card to overflowing, have yep. no time for work because they were busy networking. Right. And she would never, that would just like, and like meeting people for coffee. She would be so over-caffeinated if she had been saying yeah. yes to all those coffees. But she created these opportunities that were very focused, right? And then she'd host or co-host those dinners. And now virtually you're saying like, you can do the same thing. Same thing. Gather a few people together. Um, you know, we're recording this in early December. And I, the, an email that I just released um, was about the, like, go ahead and host something this holiday season virtually. There are people who just will be so grateful that you did that, that you created a space for them to connect and engage. And it, I feel like it's, it's, a, it's like a power networking move, right? Like yeah. the drip, drip, drip um, is, a, is kind of a way to stay top of mind. But if you just do this a few times a year, people will remember you and think very generously, right, about who you are and like, like the abundance that you create in their life, um, that you don't have to do the drip, drip, drip to be effective. So yeah. manage your sanity, right? <laughs> it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, I think it's really, I mean, I think what's so important is we all, it's back to that lesson we said at the beginning, right? Know thyself. And I just think that's so important because there are a lot of pressures on us today. The, the idea of, well, everybody's doing this. What, you know, there's like, you know, so you see everybody doing this. So you feel like, well, I have to do that. No, you don't. Um, no, you don't. In fact, um, it's funny. Podcasting is a perfect example. Um, everyone was podcasting. And I knew it wasn't going to be right for me in the early state, like in the original sort of view of podcasting. It just, there was no way I was going to stick with it about, I guess it's been six months now, um, I decided when we could do live video on our LinkedIn and YouTube and we could do the live stream, I like live. Um, that feels really comfortable to me. And so we decided to do it as a live show. We then repurpose it into a podcast. Um, but for some reason, there was an ease for me with the live versus recorded. And, and you know, it's like, be like water, go the path of least resistance for you. You know, the world's got enough bumps for you, you know, don't create them for yourself. So yeah, that for me, I, I like what you just said. I haven't really thought about that way, but it is almost like a power relationship move. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, I think the biggest thing is, you know, I always want people to do what's, what they're actually going to stick with and do is for me, like, I want you to do something. So let's figure out what's going to work for you. And I just think that's such an important lesson. Yeah, I've, I've always teased. I don't care what you use to keep track of people. I'm agnostic about like, is it a CRM? Is it a stack of index cards? Yep. Are you going to use it? And then I interviewed someone recently 
who had a very, very detailed process for business, for, uh, for index cards. <laughs> it was like taking my joke, my like, you know, throwaway line to an extreme. Um, and it, it, it's sort of true. Like if you have a process that works for you, then you're more likely to stick with it. And the benefit is consistency. Like doing something once isn't going to build a relationship. So it's like being consistently in people's lives um, is, is for me, I think what has enabled me to do this and like to be present with people. I also think it's very interesting that like the, the live component is what tipped it for you. That's just intriguing to me because live has become a much more um, ubiquitous, like impossible, I guess. And there's, there's something maybe for you about the liveness that's like makes it more interesting and then yep. you get to like share it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it makes it more exciting for me. Like it just like, I get the energy to do it. Like so, and yeah. I watch that with everything I do. Does, does this idea, this project, this task, does it give me energy or does it take my energy? And given how fast I move and how much I put on myself, I can only do what I do. Because people are like, they, I get, the, big, the number one question I get is, Angelique, do you sleep? That's literally the number one question that I get that I get from people is, do you sleep? The thing is, though, I do the things that give me energy, and I don't do the things that deplete my energy. And so I just kind of follow like how I feel in my gut when I think about doing something. And it's like, oh, I don't want to do that. And so that for me is what I what I really follow. And there are a lot of people who the idea of live would not work for them. But being a quick start, I work best under pressure. I'm a nine, for those of you who know the Colby assessment and the conative, I'm a nine quick start. Um, and my VP insists that if I take it again, I'd be a 10. You don't really change zones, but you can move like one. And so I just really thrive on uh, things that have a little bit of pressure to them. That's when I come to life. And so the live gives it some pressure. And so then I like it. You know, I don't know this test you just described, but I'm, I'm now I'm so curious to, to research about it because um, I've done more improv in a business setting this year than I've in my entire life. I've run um, dozens of hour-long Q&A sessions where I have no idea what someone's going to ask me. Like wow. on Zoom topics, on business building, on course building, I don't, I don't know how many hours I've, you know, like a hundred hours in the last eight months. And I discovered how much I come alive with that, like in the moment. Mm -hmm. And then that translated to me being more comfortable I'm seeing, which is not something I ever specifically said I did. And now I can handle anything that comes up because I'm so used to like the in the moment improv. And I wouldn't have, I feel like as a skill I've really developed because of these other opportunities and I've just sort of translated the skill, but you're right. If I had stuck to like a scripted event experience, I think a lot of what I bring to the table is something that I developed, right? That like other people haven't developed or haven't thought of as neat, as a, a skill to even acquire. Um, and that's what, you know, I'm, I'm like differentiating. Like my wife asked me like, how are you charging more than other people? I'm like, cause I'm not comparing myself to them <laughs> cause I don't bring what they bring. And you know, the, if you don't need what I bring, like that's fine, but this is what I bring. So is this really like, it, it's the improv, it's the live. Um, I love what you're saying. And I think people listening can think about how do you seek out more opportunities to have, I don't want to say live a little more dangerously, work a little more dangerously, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. be, be on the edge of your seat and not know, um, you might wake up within yourself the skill that, that I think a lot of people could benefit from having. It's, it's needed. 
I think it's needed for a lot of reasons. So many people are looking for an answer of what to do or what to say. But when you're a tennis player and you go out to play a tennis match and you hit the ball over the net, you have absolutely no idea what's going to come back at you. And everything in business is the same way. You get to a sales conversation. I don't care how many scripts you have your prospects are going to throw you for a loop. You could be a keynote speaker and you think you are so well-prepared and you get to that conference and something goes haywire. You, you know, get a question from an audience that you could have never seen coming. Um, You plan and plan and plan and do all your market research for a product or services launch and you put it out into the market and something doesn't land right and you thought you had it figured out and it comes back to you a way you didn't think. You know, nothing is scripted off stage. Life is improv. So the idea that everyone's, uh, so many people look for the right answer. They're looking for there being a right answer, right answer for what to name their company, a right answer for how much to charge, the right answer for what product to focus on, what niche to focus on. Should they do a podcast? Should they do a live stream? Should they focus on blogging? Should they be on YouTube? I mean, and they just go into this analysis paralysis of looking for the right answer. There's no right answer. They're all right. They're all wrong. And so I think what you're really speaking to is this idea of, just doing stuff, like go do and let the results of doing something consistently for a while tell you what part of it works and what part of it you need to put on the cutting room floor and start again. And that's the real truth, right? I mean, everything you've probably done, I know certainly for me, every single thing I've ever done, you know, a part of it I get right, a part of it I get wrong, And so I have to course correct. We are, it's just course correction. That's what you're, if you're an entrepreneur, that's what you're in the business of. Frankly, if you're a business leader, any leader, politician, higher ed, you know, corporate entrepreneurship leadership, it doesn't matter. You're going to get some right. You're going to get some wrong. So just go get out there and figure out which half you're going to keep, which half you need to edit and get, get, get going. Like just get going. Right. It's life is experiential. You know, yeah. and, and <laughs> that's really what you're saying. Um, I, I run this four-week program uh, to teach people how to use Zoom online facilitation, virtual event design, and it's called the 5% Advantage Program. And it's named that because I believe everyone should get 5% better every time they host or speak online. And I believe the only way we get better is by continuous improvement, which means consistently doing something and looking for opportunities to get better each time and not better like in massive shifts, but like these minor, minor, like incremental progress over time. It's how I went from, (laughs) I opened my first break. I've been using Zoom forever, right? Like everyone, you know, but I I opened my first breakout room was March 20th, but May I had already filled a a pilot program to teach people how to use Zoom for four weeks. So, you know, like you just kind of iterate and like you yeah. just go with it. Um, I love this conversation. And I, I know I'm going to bring us to our, my favorite wrap up question, which is like you and I are going to stay in touch because you're amazing people. And I'm, I'm thrilled that we've crossed paths in this way and I'm going to get to share your story. But now we're having a conversation a year from now and you're talking about your year and, and all the success you've, you've experienced. I want to know what are we going to be celebrating? What are you most looking mm. forward to in the year ahead? I absolutely love that question. Um, so we actually 
just launched a, a new program. We're filming this at the end of, of 2020. I kind of want to date this part of it. Um, we actually have a new program that we're starting um, January 1st with a, with a large group of clients and it's called Firestarter. And um, it's really up until this point, the culmination of my life's work. Um, of, and, and the goal is really to bring rigor and strategy um, to people who have a, a, a business model that's actually driven around impact, world impact. Um, everybody talks about impact, but this is for those who really want it sort of in their business model that they're making an impact and they want to do it in the corporate space somehow. Um, and so I think what we'll be celebrating, I know what we'll be celebrating um, a year from now will be uh, significant social impact programs that have been launched and have driven both sort of business growth, but also that social impact piece. Um, that's really what's in my heart now. I, I look at our community uh, at the corporate agent of Trojan horses. Um, you know, all of the small business owners that we work with are essentially Trojan horses that go inside of organizations and change them from the inside out. And these are big companies that they're changing. You know, they're McDonald's and Facebook and Microsoft and Google and mid-markets and others. But, you know, and I, I know that a year from now, we'll really be celebrating the impact of these fire starters um, who are really making a difference. I think that small business owners do not get that are working in that space do not get nearly the credit that they deserve for changing the mindset of these organizations and changing the daily experience for employees and changing the experience for customers and changing the impact on the environment and changing safety i mean we have a client that works with companies to reduce the risk of suicide in their companies so these are like big, meaningful things that are happening. Um, so I look forward to celebrating their successes with you a year from now, celebrating their world impacts a, a, you know, a year from now. Um, because for me, this next year is going to be in service of all of them um, and really honoring the, the role that they've sort of given me as, as someone who's helping them. Um, so that's what I want to celebrate a year from now is really their success and their impact. I cannot wait to celebrate that with you. That all sounds so amazing. Like your ripple effect is going to be very, very powerful, um, has been and will continue to be. How can people find you and follow your work? Yeah. So the first is our website, which is thecorporateagent.com. It's a great place to go, figure, see what we're up to, get some free resources. Um, the other place that was connect with me on LinkedIn, um, I'm the only Angelique Brewers on the platform. There's only one of us. Um, so if you find me on LinkedIn, send me a request to connect with me on there. We do a, a live show every Wednesday at one o'clock Eastern called Lead Your Movement. And it's really about showing people how to be leaders, but also really the stories of those who are leading movements and their lessons from the trenches of making an impact. And I'll tell you the stories and what these folks share just from you know their vantage point. It is, uh, it's really phenomenal. So I would highly recommend folks uh, connect with me on LinkedIn so that you can catch our live show every Wednesday. We will have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Folks, thank you so much for listening. Angelique, thank you for being here. What a great conversation. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Angelique. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. 
What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 231. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as over 225 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. And I don't know if you know this, but Valentine's Day is around the corner, a chance to celebrate healthy relationships. I wish that meant all couples, but domestic violence is on the rise as we've all been required to shelter at home during the pandemic. Please join me in supporting Respond, a pioneer in the movement to end domestic violence. For over 45 years, they provided life-saving shelter, a crisis hotline, support services, training, and education. Services are free, confidential, and available to all survivors of domestic abuse, straight, gay, bi, trans, women, men, teens, and children. A gift of any amount will help them meet their mission. Donate at respondinc.org slash donate. That is respondinc.org slash donate. Together, we can end domestic violence. If you enjoyed this episode with Angelique, please share with your friends and don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions that get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.